This is On Location. I'm Tim Leitner. This episode comes to you from New Jersey, Illinois, California, and Alaska. But first, On Location is produced by the NCA Communications Committee with special production assistance from Joe Manley and me. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcast, Breaker, iHeartRadio, and Radio Public, among others. So subscribe today on your favorite podcast service and tell all your friends. Today, On Location presents Episode 4 in our series designed to help employers navigate within the Child Support Program and provide required information that is so vital in providing child support funds to families. We also aim to assist child support professionals with increasing their understanding of sometimes confusing concepts. Our focus in this discussion is gig workers and daily pay. Joining us to help navigate this challenging subject are Corey Flores, Director of Government Affairs, Wage Garnishments, Compliance and Church Services at ADP, and Alice Jacobson, Director of Government Relations for Payroll Org. Pat O'Donnell of Young Williams and myself, Tim Leitner of CGI Technologies and Solutions Incorporated, co-host this week's conversation. It's going to be a great show, so stick around, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to another NCIA on Location, where today is the fourth in a series engaging in conversation for and with employers. I'm Pat O'Donnell with Young Williams, based in Chicago, Illinois. And joining me today is my co-host and colleague, Tim Leitner, with CGI Technologies and Solutions, based in Anchorage, Alaska. Tim, would you like to introduce yourself, please? Hey, thank you, Pat. As, as Pat was saying, I'm Tim Leitner. I'm with CGI Technologies and Solutions. I'm up here in Anchorage, Alaska, and uh, trying to take and stay warm this time of year. But really, I want to take and kind of pivot us into what we have been talking about. And uh, if you've missed our last podcast, you'll want to go back and listen. We've talked about lump sum reporting, lump sum withholding, Categories for lump sum reporting, including what are some interesting or non-obvious examples, and then some best practices for lump sum reporting and withholding. So today we're back and we're discussing the gig economy as well as the occurrence of daily pay. If you're not quite sure what these mean, have never heard of them, or simply been a bit confused, you are in the right place. Returning on the program today are Corey Flores with ADP, and Alice Jacobson with Payroll Org. Would each of you introduce yourselves and remind our listeners who you are, what you do, and what makes employer and employment topics your thing? Sure. Thanks, Tim and Pat. I appreciate being here. And as you mentioned, I work for ADP. We're one of the largest service providers in the United States, and I am the Director of Government Affairs supporting our wage garnishment product. I'm also chair of Payroll Org's Government Relations Task Force, 
Child Support Committee. Payroll Org is a professional association serving payroll professionals. Alice? Thanks, everybody. Um, yes, I'm Alice Jacobson. I'm the Director of Government Relations for Payroll Org. One of my roles is helping to build relationships between payroll professionals and child support agencies to improve management processes for reporting and withholding of child support. And I'm very happy to be here today. Well, great. It's great to have you both with us. And our first question is this. So please tell us what is a gig worker and what is the gig economy? That is an excellent question to start with. Uh, gig workers are independent contractors or freelancers who typically work in on short-term projects for multiple clients. Uh, there are surveys uh, that are out there on the number of workers that are gig workers, um, but the numbers that I've seen lately say that 64.6 million in individuals work occasionally part-time or full-time as contractors, and that's about 15% of the labor market. And so for employees, employers are responsible, right, for providing the benefits such as their health care insurance, reporting and paying employment taxes, and really complying with federal and state child support requirements. But this is not the case for your gig workers. They're re responsible for self-managing all these requirements. So that's kind of the difference between the two. Okay, thanks for that. So is there a difference between a private contractor reported through the tax form 1099 versus a gig worker? Yes, both employees and independent contractors can receive forms 1099 identifying compensation received from an employer. There's two forms. For independent contractors, employers provide a form 1099-NEC for non-employee compensation. This means that if an employer paid someone who is not an employee, such as a contractor, $600 or more for services provided during the year, a form 1099-NEC needs to be completed and a copy of the form must be provided to the independent contractor. The second form is the 1099 miscellaneous or MISC. This covers payments such as royalties, brokerage fees, rents, crop insurance, prizes, and fishing boat fees. The threshold ranges from ten dollars to $5,000, depending on the type of payment. And of course, all of our listeners will know that the form W-2, which is the wage and tax statement, is the traditional form provided to employees by their employers. Well, thank you, Alice. That's helpful to provide that clarity. Are there state child support requirements for employers to report newly contracted gig workers? And if so, how difficult is the reporting? So I'll start us off. Today, there's about 20 states and territories that have either passed specific legislation enhancing their new hire reporting requirements to include the reporting of those independent contractors, or they've issued guidance and regulations. So Ohio was the latest state to pass legislation that goes into effect at the beginning of January in 2024, so January 1st. So employers really need to be aware of states that have passed legislation. And because a state 
passes that legislation, what we have found in the employer community, the state may not be prepared to receive the information and in, in specifically categorize that um, in such a way that the employer then on receiving the income withholding order would know that it was an independent contractor or based on ind independent contract reporting. So the states are passing the requirements and employers may be reporting, but it doesn't feel like there's a complete full circle um, closed loop within that process. Additionally, federal garnishment limits under the Consumer Credit Protection Act do not apply to independent contractors. So a state could really garnish 100% of the payments made to an independent contractor. But most states do have state uh, limits. Some follow their CCPA guidelines. Some have limits at 50%. It varies, and an employer is responsible for understanding what those requirements are. Well, that's right, Corey. There's no consistency in defining who an independent contractor is for purposes of child support, such as the threshold amounts. Uh, however, if an individual works for an independent contractor company, that company would manage the child support for that person. They are essentially an employee of that contractor company. Of course, as listeners know, a contract does not necessarily define an individual as an employee or a contractor, nor do rules on providing Forms 1099, which we spoke about a moment ago. Yet states often use these kinds of terms in their child support reporting requirements, so you need to be very careful about who is included in these rules. Nevertheless, for payroll departments, an internal process is needed to manage child support for independent contractors. The payroll department can receive an income withholding order, check their system, and they'll notice that the individual is not in the system. They can't stop there. Uh, it may be that it's a contractor who's being paid by accounts payable or some other department. And so they'll need to make sure that that order is reviewed for that purposes before responding back to the state. And so in an effort to try to create some efficiencies, uh, this summer, payroll org members worked with the NCCSD, the child support directors and state representatives to identify best practices, clear definitions, and to create some standardization among states. And as a result of that collaboration, a model law was created that identifies the best practices for processes and procedures. And we're really hoping that states that are looking to pass legislation will adopt it. And even those that maybe have legislation would take a look at some of the things that were recommended in the Model Act and implement those changes as well. So in addition, the Act also suggested data elements, payment thresholds, timeframes to report, things that really can cause a challenge in the employer's normal processing cycle. The model also envisions reporting without employers specifying the full amount contractors will be paid, because that was another challenge that we face. The threshold amount for reporting is $600, which is the same income amount required for reporting to the IRS, as Alice talked about a minute ago. So there's the model legislation that's really trying to bring together and provide best practices and some standardization and efficiencies across employers in the states. 
thank you, Alice and Corey. That's that's really helpful information. And I think that model legislation will really provide a framework for states to consider what they should do to help provide consistency for the employer community. Are there electronic options for reporting the income of gig workers? So depending on how the state wants the independent contractor reported, employers may be able to report the information electronically. Oftentimes, it's whatever the state has as available options for new hire reporting. The independent contract reporting will also follow that same uh, processes. So uh, we send at ADP most of our files to states electronically. So if they accept them that way, then the employer can continue to send the independent contractors electronically as well. Some states like California actually want a separate file transmitted just for the independent contractors. So again, I highly encourage employers to understand what the state requirements are for those 20 states and make sure that they are processing and reporting in compliance with the state requirements. So there seems to be controversy about classifying workers as independent contractors versus employees. How does this impact child support? Agencies use different definitions for employers to correctly identify workers, such as the control over the tasks performed, the ability for profit and loss, and whether the work is integral to the employer's business. The controversy lies with viewpoints on the labor market. Government agencies raise some important concerns for misclassification. First, they don't trust that self-employed workers will submit accurate tax reports and payments or do so consistently. Second, they believe that workers should receive at minimum the employee benefits and protections that are mandated of employers, things like minimum wage, overtime, paid sick leave. Third, accounting for Social Security and Medicare benefits is more difficult for independent contractors because employers are not reporting the information. Conversely, individuals like being their own boss, working flexible hours, uh, potentially doing well in their businesses to earn more money and to receive tax deductions based on their business. They kind of say that, you know, if their business is doing well, then who cares about minimum wage because we're going to be making a lot more than that anyway. And overtime is unnecessary because if they can schedule their own work and, and the amount of money that they receive for that work, then they really don't need overtime. And in many cases, a contract will add in some requirements for, you know, if a project runs over, you see that with highway work, for example, where it takes a little longer than expected. Um, and they also disagree with government about employee benefits because they say, you know, with the money we make, we can just get our own benefits. So the vast majority of the child support orders employers process are based on that employer-employee relationship, right? And it assumes that a worker will receive regular pay. Employers are aware that the CCPA limitations apply. We're, vi we're pretty familiar with how to do that processing. But that is not the case, as we've mentioned, with the independent contractor relationship. And if an employer misclassifies a worker as an independent contractor, child support reporting and withholding may be inaccurate, especially in those states without the contractor reporting requirements. 
So it is possible that during enforcement proceedings, the employer could be held responsible for back paying the child support or they could be found liable if they do not process accordingly and correctly. Well, that makes it pretty critical. Absolutely. So, Corey and Alice, let's change topics here just a little bit and talk about daily pay. What is daily pay and how prevalent is it? Well, daily pay is a one-day pay period in which a worker receives their disposable earnings at the end of each day or it may be, you know, on the next day. It's commonly used for temporary workers, for example, an administrative assistant who's assigned to an employer to fill in for one day. Um, Now, this is very different than a technology that's out there called earned wage access, in which an employee can receive their pay earlier than the regularly scheduled payday. So this is actually a change in the payday period to, to one day. With advancements in technology, employers can do this, and we've seen even when it's not like a temporary agency, but you have uh, employees that just like to feel their worth by getting their disposable earnings at the end of each day, and the you know payroll technology today will allow that, and so some employers are adopting that, but it's still not the norm. You know, it's out there and we do have companies that are doing it, but right now it is not that way. And that's partly because the rules and regulations such as on tax payment, child support withholding and so forth can be more difficult administratively for a daily pay period. So how is child support withheld from daily pay? A variety of ways. (laughs) That's the simplest of answers. So it's really going to vary, Pat, by employer. So I have heard uh, some employers take the amount on an annual basis and come up with the working days to get the amount that they should be withheld. They can break it down monthly, weekly. It's really going to vary based on how the employer is doing that calculation. And without established policy or guidelines, you're going to get a varying response from whoever you're asking in in the employer that is implementing daily pay. So, you know, leave it to the employers to manage without any policy or any guidance, and there will be variations. The other item I want to mention that comes into play with that daily pay frequency is employer fees. So some states that allow employer fees do not have a monthly maximum amount that the employer can actually assess. So with a daily pay frequency, they can truly withhold that employer fee on a daily basis. So just something else for employers and states to be aware of and consider when they're looking at how daily pay is going to affect how they're processing. So this is quite a complex topic. So how is daily pay prorated and who is responsible for the child support withholding calculations? So the withholding is a responsibility of the employer if there is an order, right? They get the order in. It's their responsibility to ensure that they're calculating correctly and withholding appropriately. Um, And the fact that they need to ensure that they're deducting appropriate amounts 
the proration of the orders does not change just because the frequency is on a daily basis. So the proration remains the same, but the calculation and the withholding is a responsibility of the employer. You know, full disclosure here, I had never heard of the daily pay concept until recently. So all this discussion to assist employers with sorting out this must be helpful. Have you gotten any feedback from employers that have listened to these employer-focused podcasts? Anything that you want to stress one more time from today's episode that are must-remembers? Yes, thanks, Tim. Uh, It's critical that employers comply with wage and hour laws to make sure that employees are paid their fair and full wages, regardless of what pay cycle they choose to use. Uh, So, too, employers also need to accurately comply with all legal reporting and withholding requirements. That includes child support. And then we are continuing to review the daily pay frequency. Um, We've proposed potentially adding daily pay instructions and amounts to the federal income withholding order. Um, We know it was just recently revised, but we have made suggestions about a possible, uh, you know, interim revision to include it, or maybe on the next revision. In the meantime, if an employer is using a daily pay frequency, we would urge them to contact the state child support agency for a, you know, guidance and instructions on how to make that calculation. At least let the agency know that they do offer or they do pay on a daily basis and ensure that how they are calculating is not going to negatively impact the uh, non-custodial parent. We always encourage employers, if in fact they have questions, to reach out to the issuing agency for assistance or to their legal department. This information is so helpful. So I've really enjoyed listening to you, Alice and Corey, just share the, the highlights of both the gig worker and also the daily pay topics. I think our listeners will very much enjoy the time spent with us today with Corey and Alice, and also to engage with the employer community. We all know that child support collections would not be what they are without employers. And to help ease that confusion will go a long way for all of us. So thank you, Corey, and thank you, Alice, for being here. You're welcome. We hope that you'll come back from time to time and share even more. We also want to thank our listeners for coming back week after week and checking out our new podcasts. On behalf of the NCA Communications Committee, I'm Pat O'Donnell. And I'm Tim Leitner. And this has been On Location. On Location is available on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you get your podcasts. We have a lot of great episodes on the way, so be sure to subscribe and listen to all of our previous episodes as well. We also appreciate your ratings, your feedback, your comments, and your suggestions. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, please reach out to us on the contact link on our website. On Location is a production of the NCA Communications Committee with special production assistance from Joe Mamlin and me. Thanks again for joining me. I'm Tim Leitner, and this has been On Location.